This afternoon, once again, we confess together the Belgic Confession, Article 1, about the nature of God. Let's confess together. We believe in the heart and confess with the mouth that there is a unique and simple spiritual being who we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, and infinite, who is wise and the overflowing source of all good things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear your word preached that you would enlighten our minds and hearts to understand the depth of your character and your nature. Lord, we confess freely that you are incomprehensible and we can only understand what you have revealed to us in your word. So help us to carefully search the scriptures this afternoon and to understand what they have to say about you through Christ. Help us, as always, to hear the law, convicting us of sin, and the gospel and its glorious uh, Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Psalm 102, all verses, and you can find that on page 501 of your pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from Psalm 102, all verses. This is the word of God. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me cr- my, my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my da- days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. The Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. 
Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This afternoon we continue our sermon series on the nature of God, or the attributes of God. And um, in particular we look at immutability, that is the changelessness of God. We confess that the being or the nature of God does not change. It cannot change because that would defy any definition of God. Now children, this may sound like a sermon just for, adult, for adults because it sounds so hard and uh, abstract, difficult, but it's not. You understand the subject of change very well. Everything around you changes after all. That means everything transforms, it becomes different. What changes? Weather changes, your thoughts change, you change your mind. Your brother or sister changes one nice uh, moment, they're nice, the next they're mean. You change schools, and of course you grow and change on the inside and out. You're in your parents' household now, but you will move out someday. Uh, many of you will uh, get married and have kids, and then they'll change, and you start the whole process over, process over again. I mean, notice even the small things of life change. Uh, sometimes in the high desert, you get to build a snowman out front, but uh, to the dismay of every child that's ever lived, that snowman is there just for a moment and then melts away. Some change is good, and some is bad, but all change can be very stressful. There's change in suffering. One moment you're fine, and the next you are suffering some kind of pain. In situations like this, you wish to find something or someone upon whom you can rely for stability and comfort. Because God does not change, you can find ultimate comfort in Him through Jesus. A person who is distressed by illness, who finds comfort in the changeless God, is the subject of Psalm 102. In this sermon, you will understand the ways in which the changeless God gives you stability and comfort in this fallen world. Specifically, first, you'll understand the distress of change, and second, you'll understand the comfort of God's changelessness. So first, the distress of change. Psalm 102, you'll note, is very similar to Psalm 90 that we looked last week uh, in terms of the attribute of eternity. Both psalms are laments. That is, they are complaints to God about problems in this life, but they fall into the context of trust in God. Psalm 90 is a community lament. The whole church is lamenting. Psalm 102 is an individual lament. So the person, this one person, is complaining to God, crying out to God for help. Specifically, the person in Psalm 102 is dying. Notice in Psalm, or rather, verse 23. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. It's a reference to death. Verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Last week we understood uh, Psalm 90 had this rich imagery of the way in which grass is there for a moment, gone the next. 
Therefore, the distress that you can feel in the psalm is a change from life to death. In this person's suffering, he believes that God has hidden his face from him, verse 2. It would be very easy to see why he would believe this. He confesses that his life is short, verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. The burning here, according to uh, one commentator, is most likely a reference to a high fever. He continues, he says, he goes hungry, I forget, forget to eat my bread. His bones cling to his flesh, which is a description of being like flesh and bones when you're starving. In verses 6 and 7, he describes loneliness as in an owl in uh, the waste places or a sparrow on the rooftop. Enemies taunt him, verse 8. If he eats at all, his own tears are mingled with his drink as well as the ashes of mourning. So uh, children in days like this, old days, the Old Testament, um, people would throw ashes on their head if they were mourning. This is what he was doing. In some way, this person's sickness is tied to a sin, which is tied to the fact that he and his people are in exile. This is what it is, uh, or meant, in verses 13 and following, that God will have pity on Zion, the city of God. The stones of the city are mentioned, which are probably fallen. The reference to dust most likely means the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. So this is uh, speaking of a time of exile for the petitioner and destruction of Jerusalem. But the petitioner here believes that God will rebuild Zion, verse 16. Therefore, the person in this psalm is in distress because of profound change. He is far away from his home. But the ultimate change is that he is moving from life to death. And so we recognize, as a people of God, that the ultimate way in which people change, all people recognize this really, is going from life to death, right? According to the account in Genesis, death is unnatural. It's not the way things were to be. Adam and Eve were created to live eternally, with their children eternally. But they fell, and we all fell in Adam. And that is why, by the way, that death is the most fearful thing in this life, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It is loathed. It's called an enemy. And in the Old Testament, death seems to issue greater pains because it seemed to confine people to a place called Sheol, which is the grave. Yes, Israel had faith in God beyond the grave. But the Old Testament, you'll remember, is a time of types and shadows. It wasn't so clear to people what the next life was like. And a great example of someone who embodies this uh, fear, uh, also in the, in the context of trust, is King Hezekiah, a very faithful man of God. Um, there's a couple of accounts of his uh, near death in the scriptures. One is um, Isaiah 38, the second is 2 Kings 20. According to Isaiah chapter 38, uh, Hezekiah was sick, just like this guy in Psalm 102, and he's about to die. So Isaiah the prophet comes to him with bad news and says, It's true, Hezekiah, you're about to die. Put your house in order. And so when you read this passage, or the passage in 2 Kings 20, you just feel the depression of this great king, how sad he is. So uh, Hezekiah prays, uh, Isaiah 38, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. 
and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Do not forget, people of God, that it is not wrong to lament and to cry. Some people have the idea that Christians don't do that or they don't do it for very long. Here is a man of God who wept bitterly because of his illness, because he was about to die. He's a model for Christian behavior. That's what we do. That's what the Psalms are all about. At least the Psalms of Lament. Cry out to God when you're sad and depressed. Well, a little later, after um, Hezekiah <clears throat> prays this, he writes that he has been consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of his years. Again, there's this, this uncertainty about his future. He says that he will not see the Lord or look on uh, man anymore. His life has been rolled up. God has brought him to an end. He chirps like a swallow or a crane. His eyes are weary and there's bitterness in his soul. Well, he sounds exactly like the petitioner here in Psalm 102, doesn't he? We'll come back to Hezekiah in just a moment uh, and what happens to him, but suffice it to say that it is the threat of death that undoes Hezekiah and this man in the psalm. Again, it is the ultimate kind of change that devastates. But we need to quickly add that there are many other types of changes in this life that cause all sorts of distress. Uh, Your plans change. Uh, There's an increase or diminishment of skill and ability. Uh, People upon whom you should trust are unreliable and irresponsible. Friends and family move away. You get a job, but you lose a job. Your kids go through these crazy cycles of change. The country is at peace, but then it is at war. And as you grow older, necessarily, you develop health problems. You cannot deny it. And of course, mankind has developed ways in which to help you in your distress. But nothing and no one compares to the eternal, unchangeable God. He is able to help you profoundly because... He can't change, and he will never change. So notice that God's changelessness is a psalmist's help and comfort. Even though he is sick, he's about to die, his comfort is found in the changeless God. In verse 12, he changes his lament to a confession of hope. He says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. So it is the Lord, that is Yahweh, that is his help. And his hope is for the future, that Zion will be rebuilt, and the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Verse 18. It's really a remarkable confession. Lord, let the people that are yet born praise you for who you are. And the foundation of such hope is the changeless God. Verses 25 and following. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. You notice everything in your life changes. Everything. Even the heavens and the earth, which seem to be so secure, change. There are earthquakes now, but they will give away to the final shaking of the heavens and the earth and the renewal or recreation of the heavens and the earth. But God never changes. 
It's completely unlike you and the creation that changes and has an end. God doesn't change and he has no end. But what does it mean that God doesn't change? Be specific about what we confess in our uh, confession. Uh, It means that his nature, his essence, his being does not change, but remains the same always. So you think of it this way, God can't improve. He can't lack something, he can't improve. Uh, God can't diminish in his abilities or in any of his attributes. His decrees, his divine commands, in the order of creation, of providence, and predestination don't change. They are fixed. God decided to create, things are created. God decided to uphold all things by the word of his power in this world. It happens necessarily, that never changes. If God has decreed to elect some to eternal life, that never changes. Those things are fixed. Isaiah says that God is the first and the last, yet he is still the same God. He is the I am, and the one who is and ever remains the same. He is not like a man who lies or repents, say the scriptures. He will do what he says. Paul says in Romans 11 that his gifts and calling are irrevocable, and that he doesn't reject his people. And James says that in him is no variation or shadow of change. He's a father of heavenly lights. In him is no variation or shadow of change. So we confess that the nature of God, the essence of God, the being of God, does not and cannot change. That would go against the definition of God. God is perfect. Therefore, he does not change. But, it seems like God changes when you look at the other scriptures. God, after all, has created and has maintained a working relationship, as it were, with the creation. This seems to argue that God does change. After all, God has always been, but at a certain period, he created a universe which before never existed and never needed a attending to. Now it does. According to Genesis 6.6 6, um, and Exodus 32, uh, God repents. He changes his plans. And, of course, what about the Incarnation? It seems like if there's any change at all, it is the eternal Son of God becoming man. So it seems like all of these passages argue against what we're confessing, that God changes. But, these examples are only examples of apparent changes in God. Apparently, He changes, but He does not. So God's actions with respect to the creation and creatures does change. So for instance, God relents from wiping out His people according to Exodus 32. We've covered this passage before, but if you recall, Israel uh, breaks the first and second commandments and all other sorts of commandments when they create the golden calf and worship it. Remember, Moses is on the mountain, Mount Sinai with God, and God informs him what's going on below. He says to Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out. They're a stiff-necked people. They're not going to be my people. That's it. I'm going to kill them all, Moses. Moses, as God's mediator, says, God, don't do this. They're your people. Remember your promises. And literally, God repents. He changes his actions. Now, it's very important to distinguish here. We don't say that the essence of God or the nature of God or the being of God changes. 
No, he changes his actions. The way in which he relates now to his creatures changes. God himself doesn't change. God doesn't literally change his mind like we change our minds. No, this is all a part of his plan. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Manifestly, yes, if he has spoken, he will do it. God doesn't change his mind like you. That's not what happened there. This was, as Calvin would say, baby talk for people to understand God's radical change in his actions here. His actions towards his creatures change the essence of God, the being of God does not. And also, everything in Exodus 32 happened uh, according to God's eternal plan. He decided to do this beforehand. God's decree, his command, to save his elect, was also not thwarted in this, this incident. The history of salvation changes as God ordains it. Moses' intercession with God was effective and there was a change in his actions only because of Christ's work in the future. I mean, think of that. Something happened in time because of the accomplishment of a future event yet to happen. This does not speak of change, but of the eternal and changeless purpose of God. And this is known in Christ. When the eternal Son of God became man, the nature or being of God did not change. The Son of God took to himself what? A true body and a reasonable soul. Thus Jesus had two natures, each of which are preserved. So that's how we get past this. When Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became man, there was no change in divinity. This is why the Chalcedonian Creed is so important. It summarizes the scriptures on this point. It says this, Christ has two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. If each nature is preserved, that means divinity is preserved, not changed. Now kids, this sounds really crazy and complicated. It's not. We've discussed this before. Jesus has how many natures? Two natures. Jesus became man, which means he took to himself a true body and reasonable soul. He's just like you, but that never changed the being of the eternal Son of God. He remained divine. Humanity did not leak into divinity. Divinity did not leak into humanity. He would no longer be God if that were true, because he would change. So, so the eternal Son of God remained fully God, even though he became man. Therefore, note, stability and comfort are found in the unchangeable God. So let's get back to Hezekiah, because this is what he found, that there is reliability, stability, and a changeless God. Because what happens is, Hezekiah learns that uh, God reverses death. So after Hezekiah prayed, we hear this in Isaiah chapter 38, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will add 15 years to your life. Let's go to the Second Kings account, chapter 20. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, 
What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall, he asks, the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Notice, God does not only grant Hezekiah more years on earth changing his awful circumstances, God mocks the fear man has of the change of death. He brings the shadow of time backwards. That's very significant. He brings the shadow of time backwards. Hezekiah, renewed by God's promise before this time, has the faith to ask God this very thing. God invites him to believe the impossible because God is a God of the impossible. He does not change when virtually everything in this fallen world changes. The fear of death is real. All people have it without exception. But God mocks death, you see, saying, I am king over this, over your greatest fear, because I am the changeless God. Therefore, I can do the impossible. You can't even conceive of the impossible because you're human and you change. God never changes. And so Moses, Hezekiah, Isaiah, and the penitent of Psalm 102 all look forward in time to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which seemed to suggest that God changes. But rather, the incarnation is proof of the impossible. God crucifying Christ maintained His justice, never changing, while pouring out grace upon His people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today. And so, brothers and sisters, there is unbelievable comfort in a God who does not change. There are challenges to this doctrine today. People saying that God is open, that He enters into time and space, He moves and changes with the creation, which to some minds gives us comfort. It does not. God is changeless, which is not to say He is static, right? He always moves. He acts. He's the living God, after all. But somehow, some way, He does not change in His being. And so that's why when we say, we talk about the covenant of grace, it is that because God maintains the covenant through His grace, not your work. If God doesn't change, then the content of the Scriptures does not change with respect to His promises or anything in the Scriptures. Therefore, you see, God is always reliable. Our best friends, our spouses, our kids, they cannot be perfectly reliable or responsible, but God is always that way. And so, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, and there will be those circumstances in your life, sickness, different changes, problems with kids, and death, you do not need to worry, brothers and sisters in Christ, because you believe in the changeless God. So in conclusion, comfort for you is found not in yourself, the changing circumstances of your life. It is found in Jesus Christ alone. 
then you will find yourself in heaven one day, which is the perfect changeless place, your place for eternity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.